Revelation chapter 22, beginning in verse 6. And he said to me, These words are trustworthy and true. And the Lord, the God of the spirits of the prophets, has sent his angel to show his servants what must soon take place. And behold, I am coming soon. Blessed is the one who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. I, John, am the one who heard and saw these things. And when I heard and saw them, I fell down to worship at the feet of the angel who showed them to me. But he said to me, you must not do that. I am a fellow servant with you and your brothers, the prophets, and with those who keep the words of this book. Worship God. And he said to me, do not seal up the words of the prophecy of this book, for the time is near. Let the evildoer still do evil, and the filthy be filthy still, and the righteous still do right, and the holy still be holy. Behold, I am coming soon, bringing my recompense with me to repay each one for what he has done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Blessed are those who wash their robes so that they may have the right to the tree of life and that they may enter the city by the gates. Outside are the dogs, the sorcerers, and the sexually immoral, and the murderers and idolaters, and everyone who loves and practices falsehood. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you about these things for the churches. I am the root and descendant of David, the bright morning star. The spirit and the bride say, come. Let the one who hears say, come. Let the one who is thirsty come. Let the one who desires take the water of life without price. I warn everyone who hears the word prophecy of this book. If anyone adds to them, God will add to him the plagues described in this book. And if anyone takes away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God will take away his share in the tree of life and in the holy city, which are described in this book. He who testifies to these things says, Surely I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with all. Amen. And amen. <clears throat> so Dr. Kelly, uh, seminary professor's commentary and things on the book of Revelation, he writes this. <clears throat> he says that Jesus has said all he had to say. And now he is putting a question to us as though we do not need any more information about the future. Here is the question. What are you going to do with what I have already told you? And this is how the Son of God concludes the Holy Bible. And, and I would add that he concludes it with a benediction, this, this blessing of grace upon us and the word of amen. Let it be. Just, it's not just the end of the book of Revelation. It's the, at the end of the Bible. It's the, the, the last, the latest thing that was written and recorded um, given to the prophets of God to be able to, to be in the Bible. So the last word of Scripture is, Amen. And grace to all. So look at verse 6. To me, he said, these words are trustworthy and true. And the Lord, the God of the spirits of the prophets, has sent his angel to show his servants what must soon take place. And here we're going to look at is, is the nature of Scripture. And this is what God wants us to know in the nature of Scripture. <clears throat> that New King James, the New American Standard, some other translations, instead of using this word trustworthy, they have the word faithful. And it's the word pistuo, pistos, which means faithfulness, trustworthiness. It kind of means the same thing, but the word faithfulness um, 
there's a little more of an idea, I believe. I, I, I like the, I'm not going to argue with any translators, but other translators disagree. So faithful and true. It means trustworthy and true. But, but the word there is the word for, for faith. So when you're reading Scripture, when you're reading the book of Revelation, whatever you're reading in the Bible, the nature of Scripture is that it is faithful. It is trustworthy to the things that are true about God. Now, man can twist it to their own destruction. We can take verses here or there. What's the saying? So on a coffee cup, uh, I can do all things through a verse taken out of context. And that's a, a real thing. So you have to make sure that when you're, you're studying the Bible and you're reading the Bible, it's in the context. A, a verse is, <clears throat> a word is in a sentence. A sentence is in a paragraph. A paragraph is in a section of Scripture. A section of Scripture is in a book of the Bible. A book of the Bible is in a section of Scripture. A section of Scripture is in, yeah, it, it all is contained within this whole of which God is revealing true truth to his church. And so you might say, well, some people come away with this and some people come away with that. It's like, we can debate these things. We can even argue these things. We can pray about these things and we can look at these things as long as your foundational underlying belief is this word of God is faithful and true. It is trustworthy. It is the word of God. It claims for itself to be this. It is autopistic in nature, which is a word that we use in theology, which means it, is, it, it, it gives faith in itself. It isn't true because we've decided it to be true. It is true because it's true. And what it does is, in a mysterious way through the Holy Spirit, it regenerates our hearts to know and say, amen, this is true. So why do we believe the Bible to be the Bible? Why do we believe it to be true? Lots of reasons. You can read the Westminster Confession of Faith on Scriptures, and it gives all sorts of reasons why you can believe it to be true. But when it comes down to it, any reason that we believe the Bible is true, we're putting that reason above Scripture. So the main reason we believe the Bible is true is because the Holy Spirit has convinced our hearts of its truthfulness. So it is autopistic. It is autofathing. It gives us faith in itself for those who are united to Christ, who are born again through his spirit. It's faithful, it's true, and it even says here, he says, the God of the spirits of the prophets. And that's an interesting phrase, the God of the spirits of the prophets. So if you want to look, look 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17, very, um, it's, it's just to the left here. All of Paul's letters are together. The, the T's are in alphabetical order. So um, 2 Timothy Chapter 3, 16 and 17. This is one of those pivotal passages of Scripture <clears throat> that tell us about the nature of Scripture that's being um, told to us again here in the, the book of Revelation. So 2 Timothy 3, 16. All Scripture is breathed out by God. Now, if you put that into the, um, we won't say inspired by God, but if you want to be exact about it, it's expired by, it's expirated, but we don't like the way that sounds. You don't want to say the Bible is expired. The Bible is, is breathed out by God, though. This is the truth. It's, it's theonoustos. Theos means God, noustos, pneuma, spirit, wind. It is God-breathed. So this is what we're reading when we're reading the Word of God. Holy men are moved and carried along by the Holy Spirit to say the words that the Holy Spirit inspired them to say. Breathed out Word of God. All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness that the man of God may be complete and equipped 
for every good work. And so then Paul goes on and tells Timothy, preach the word then, in season and out of season. Why would you not preach the word? You have to preach the word. That is the purpose of the church and of, of preachers. So this is true. It is faithful revelation of Jesus Christ. You can believe it. You can trust it. You should base your life upon it. And then verse 7, he says, Behold, I am coming soon. Blessed is the one who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. So put your hand there, hold it there, and just look at Revelation chapter 1, the very opening of the book of Revelation, and see the connections that he's making as they open and close with these same thoughts. Revelation chapter 1. This is the revelation, the unveiling, the pulling back of the curtain of the apocalypto of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show to his servants the things that must soon take place, he made it known by sending his angel to his servant John, who bore witness to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ, even to all that he saw. <clears throat> blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear, who keep what is written in it, for the time is near. And then John writes to seven churches in Asia, grace to you and peace from him who is, who was, and who is to come. And from the seven spirits who are before the throne, and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, and the ruler of the kings of the earth. And he goes on. But this is who we're worshiping. The God who is, and he says, behold, I am coming soon. And it's an interesting way he says it's present tense. He's not saying, I will come Soon. I will come soon. He says, I am coming soon. And you might say, yeah, well, there's not a lot of difference in that. But, but there is some difference in that. He is coming soon. So there, this opens up the idea that Jesus isn't just far away. And it's more like you're in the car going somewhere and you keep aggravating your parents. It's like, are we there yet? Are we there yet? Are we just a little further, just a little further. We're on our way. We're in the car now. We're not to where we're going to be yet, but we're on the way. I'm driving the car, and we're not there yet, but if you'll just, as the, God told the prophet, particularly Habakkuk, shh, 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 just be quiet, just a little further. Just listen. Sometimes you just need to be still and know that I am God, as we would yell to our children in the back seat, you know, as I pull this car over. And so God is saying, Jesus is saying to us, this is the I am coming soon. He who was and who is and who is to come. And this is the God that we worship. This is Jesus Christ who is with us. He's, he's with us in Revelation. He's amongst all the, the candles, the candlesticks, the seven churches. He's with us in communion when we come to him today by his spirit. He's present. We call it a sacramental union, a mysterious union between the Holy Spirit and the bread and the wine. And, and for those who are united by faith, these things don't turn into anything else. But to those who are by faith who receive him, we receive again and renew the covenant promises that when you as a believer hear the gospel, you are meeting again with God, and He with you, and He is doing something in you through this. It's not just, um, what is somebody Keller this morning says, um, it's not just good advice, it's good news. The gospel is different than just these are good uh, psychological ideas to help you live a little bit better life. This is the Word of God and truth, and it is faithful, and it is true, and He is coming soon. Blessed is the one who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. 
There's seven blessings in the book of Revelation. This is one of them. This is also uh, a blessing from Revelation chapter 1. Blessed is the one who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. And that's talking about who obeys it, who listens to it, who allows it to change their life. It's not just, you might even memorize the book of Revelation. A lot of people know all kinds of things about the book of Revelation, but, it, but they don't hold it and keep it and know it and let it get into their hearts, you know, like the rest of the scripture. So if the only book of the Bible you know is Revelation, you have a problem, okay? If the only book of the Bible, if you only have the New Testament and you don't even care about the Old Testament, you have a problem because the Holy Spirit has inspired all the scripture. All the scripture is breathed out, and so it all is necessary for feeding us. Otherwise, I will continue. <laughs> Blessed is the one who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. And so what we're looking at here is the, the nature of his coming. So he is, he's here with us, but he is also coming in a real and powerful way too. And he says soon. Now you have another translation. It may have the word quickly. And so that's an important distinction right there. Because if he's saying, I'm coming soon, well, that means, I don't know what soon means to you, but, you know, I'm asking my dad, are we almost there? And he's like, just a little further. Well, what do you mean by a little further? Well, it's been a little further for quite a while yet. So we know that if we had more time, we'd go to Second Peter. Oops, let's do it real quick, because there's a lot of good stuff. Second Peter chapter 3. So it's not far from Revelation, 2 Peter chapter 3, really pivotal in our understanding of this idea of the word behind this word for soon or quickly. It can mean both things, so let's assume that God in his providence of inspiring scripture kind of means a little bit of both. So if he's coming soon, 2 Peter chapter 3, Paul's writing, he says, this is the second letter I'm now writing to you, beloved. In both of them, I'm stirring up your sincere mind by way of reminder that you should remember the predictions of the holy prophets and the commandment of the Lord and Savior through the apostles, knowing, first of all, that scoffers will come in the last days with scoffing, following their own sinful desires. They will say, where is the promise of his coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all things are continuing as they were from the beginning of creation. They deliberately overlooked this fact, that the heavens existed long ago, and that the earth was formed out of water and through water by the word of God, and that by means of these, the world that then existed was deluged, flooded with water, and perished. But by the same word, the heavens and earth that now exist are stored up for fire, being kept until the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. Do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years and a thousand years as one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward y'all. Please get the y'all translation of the Bible online. It's available in every um, translation. They make the use plural like good Southerners do because it's important as being patient towards y'all, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. I will come quickly. And when you start thinking about soon, who's answering the question? The kids in the back of the car, they're ready to get there? Or dad, who's liable to pull over to McDonald's and order a black coffee and get nothing for nobody else? Just keep going forward. We'll get there when we get there. And so this is God who is with us, cares about us. But when he says soon, he means I am coming soon. You better be aware. Keep your candle wicks trimmed. Make sure you are clothed. Don't be found asleep 
he says. In Revelation, he also says, I come like a thief. And what, how's a thief come? That sounds kind of bad, coming like a thief. Thief comes when you least expect it. Hopefully, he's coming like a thief. He does, he's not expecting you to be home. If you're sitting up with your shotgun ready to go, with lights on, waiting for the thief to show up, the bad thief will come then. He's going to come in a time when you least expect it. And he could come any time. And that's what we have to continue to be aware of. But he also is going to come quickly. 1 Corinthians 15, 52, he says he will come in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. When I was a child, I always loved that phrase, twinkling of an eye. What's, what's that mean? And I remember reading something years ago about they've measured the twinkle of an eye, and I'm still like, oh, it's with that twinkle of an eye. It's just it's quick. I come quickly. So this is what happens. You're not going to have time, and I've used the example before since we've had these tornadoes. It's like you get a tornado warning is different than a hurricane warning. Hurricane is out there, and we know it's brewing. You got the charts, you got the map, you have all this time, and it's coming. But the tornado might just come suddenly. So you have to be prepared for these things. And so the Lord says, I am coming soon, I am coming quickly. And he repeats this as well in verse 12. He says, in the nature of his coming, is it soon but quick. But also, verse 12, I am coming soon, quickly, bringing my recompense with me. Well, there's a fancy word, recompense. I had to look that one up. I think I know what it means, but it's the same word as reward, which other translations will use the word reward. But they want to make sure that you understand recompense and reward can mean negative things too. Like a reward is something you get that's good, unless you're being rewarded for bad behavior, and then you get rewarded with a spanking or something. Yeah, that can be your reward for that. So that's why they try to take this other word. But... What, and so it is good that when they're doing interpretations of the Word of God, they don't do too much um, uh, interpret, like trying to interpret what is God saying is trying to get the words right so that we can allow God to speak. So what he's saying is, I'm coming, I'm bringing my recompense with me to repay each one for what he has done. So when he comes, there is a, there is a repayment for each one. So what we see from the rest of Scripture and the rest of Revelation is, to the godly, there is rewards in heaven beyond all measure. The, the, the tree of life, the great city of God. And for the ungodly, there's the second death. And God keeps that before us in the book of Revelation. I will repay each one for what he has done. So let's look at quickly Ephesians chapter 2 verse 4. This also is a, an importance. New Testament, it's in all these letters of Paul, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians. Lest you think that God is going to be um, giving out salvation through works, Ephesians 2, 4 through 10 are very clear on this teaching. So Ephesians chapter 2, beginning in verse 4. Yeah, you know I'm going to start in verse 1, so go ahead. Probably most of y'all went ahead and went to verse 1. Ephesians 2, 1. You were dead in your trespasses and sins, in which, you, in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passion of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich, in mercy, 
because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, he, God, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. Grace. That means undeserved. It doesn't just, mercy is you get pulled by a policeman that we love and honor and try to always slow down when you're behind us. Um, they give you a warning. That is mercy. Okay? He could have given you a ticket, could have thrown the book at you, whatever you're doing. A warning is mercy. But, and you could do this sometimes if you like, you take out their wallet and they give you a $100 bill just because you look like you need it. That's grace. You didn't deserve it. It came out of nowhere. You deserved a ticket, but instead you got $100. Now, the problem with that is if the highway patrolman go around handing out $100 bills to everybody that speeds, I'm first in line. I was driving at it. So that's what we believe. It's difficult for us to grasp this with God because what we want to believe is what Paul anticipates the, the argument against this is why don't you just sin so the grace might abound? Just go ahead and speed so that they can give you more good stuff. And it's like, no. <laughs> Paul says, may it never be. Because what the highway patrolman cannot do is give you a changed heart. That's what's different. God gives us a changed heart in Christ Jesus. And therefore, he is able to lavish upon us all the riches of his grace and mercy. And if you believe those things manifest themselves primarily in um, health, wealth, and those sorts of things, then those things are your guide. We have a, a, a theology of glory, as it's called, but there's also a theology of the cross. There is a suffering Christ, a suffering servant. We take up our crosses. We find God's blessings oftentimes in the difficulties of life. We find God's blessings in the trials and tribulations of life. For the believer, these things, all things, are working together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose. And even here in Ephesians 2, 5, by grace you have been saved, and he raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness towards us in Jesus Christ. So the best is yet to come. For by grace you've been saved through faith, and that is not your own doing. Even this faith is the gift of God's, not the result of works, so that no one may boast. We are his workmanship. Okay, he's not our workmanship. We didn't work our way to him. He created us for good works, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So when we receive rewards for our good things that we do, he is crowning his own gifts to us. And that is what a good and gracious God does. And then Revelation 22, verse 8, we're going to look at the, the true nature of our response. Okay, we've seen the true nature of Scripture is, the true nature of His coming. And so what is supposed to be the true nature of our response? I, John, am the one who heard and saw these things. And when I saw and heard them, I fell down to worship at the feet of an angel who showed them to me. Now he's, he's done this one time before, or he's talking about it again, where you see this angel, he falls down to worship him, and the angel says, you must not do that. I am a fellow servant with you and your brothers, the prophets, and with those who keep the words of this book. Worship God. Now, you find people falling down at Jesus' feet. You find people saying, my Lord and my God. You find people giving worship to Jesus, and he never says no, because he, too, is God. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, same in substance, one in, uh, three in person, but one God, 
But the thing we're supposed to do here is worship. Only God. Not even angels. And there was a problem with the uh, churches back in that day. There was a certain um, that angel worship that was going on. So you don't worship angels. Don't even worship angels. Now, if you're going to worship anything, imagine an angel appearing. And you have to be careful because even Satan can appear as an angel of light. So you can be deceived by these things. But do not worship even angels. So certainly don't worship human leaders. They have to be very careful with, with what we call worship. And that means giving greatest honor, greatest glory, greatest meaning, greatest purpose, great, all our hopes clinging to what? And you have to be careful because in this country we've gotten to where we do this with politicians. Do not worship politicians. Worship Christ. Follow Christ. Stay Keep his word. And the Bible even tells us, seek to live peaceable, quiet lives. That's, that's the goal of the Christian. Did you, did you even know that? I mean, because that's not the typical uh, exaltation, exhortation to the church to, to live. Just, again, shh, just, just be cool. <laughs> see what you can do to live peaceful lives. Now, if you see injustice, you're supposed to do something about it as you can in your own place and everything, but, but always seeking to make sure that we are resting in the reality of who God is, and we worship Him, and we worship Him alone. And he also says, why do you not worship me? He says, because I am a fellow servant. Now, there's two words that we use for servants, and, um, and when we took Greek class at seminary, there was one person who was the doulos. And the, the doulos was the servant. That was the one that's supposed to go get something. If I need, the teacher needed something, the doulos went and got it. He's thirsty, the doulos went and got it. Um, a doulos is, is more like a slave. It's a servant who's under the authority of a direct person so that he does things because I'm supposed to be doing them. Uh, a deacon, diakonos, a deacon is like a one who serves at tables one who's ministering to you, one who is serving you, not necessarily as one who's under your authority, even though we, and please be careful, church, if you go out to eat after, don't let it be said of people from our church that Sunday is the worst day to serve tables because Christians are the worst people to have to serve at restaurants. Make sure you're the most gentle, the most kind, the most gracious, and the biggest tippers. And if you can't be the biggest tipper, then go home and eat or something. Uh, but the, the diaconist, the deacon, the minister, that's a different type of servant as well. But this angel is saying we're fellow servants, doulos. We are under the authority of Christ, and we serve him. So that is our job. That is our goal, serving Christ. And this, what we're doing this morning, is our service of worship to him. And then in verse 10, he says, don't seal up the words of this prophecy. Now, lots of this prophecy is quoted from the Old Testament. We've been to several places. One place is Daniel. When Daniel receives prophecy of the end times, uh, he said, I, I, he, he like spends, he can't even sleep at night. He's like, this is, what's going on? I don't understand this. And God tells him, seal up the words of this prophet until, the words of this prophecy until the last day. And so now we get to the book of Revelation. And of course, we had the seven seals as Jesus Christ is a, unfolding all of these events. But not sealing the prophecy means it's actually understandable now. You, you can get it. The book of Revelation is not meant to be a veiling of things. It's meant to unveil who Jesus Christ is. 
And so we see the gospel. We see God working in the person of Jesus Christ. We know that what Daniel was prophesying in the book of Daniel was the coming of the Lord of Lords and kings of kings, Jesus Christ coming, dying for our sins, being elevated to the right hand of God the Father and ruling as king over the church now and coming a day where you ain't seen nothing yet and there'll be the glorification of the church. Daniel and the prophets of old long to look into these things. The angels long to look into these things. But in these last days, God has spoken by his son. We understand the fulfilling of everything God is doing in the world through Jesus Christ. So if you want to understand prophecy, if you want to understand what's happening in the future, if you want to understand what's going on in the world, then what you need to understand is not prophecy charts, is not timelines, it is the person and work of Jesus Christ. That's it. What am I supposed to be doing? Keeping the word. Keep it. Make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you, resting in the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross. That's, our, that's what we do. When's the end coming? Soon. And he's going to come like a thief. Be ready. When we went to Russia to adopt your mother, uh, y'all's mother, the um, people there were asking, because it was in the Jewish autonomous region and the Jews had greatly left to go to Israel, and they were told the people there that when all the Jews make it back to Israel, then the Messiah will come and the end of the world will come. And so they would look at us, knowing we were Christians, and say, when do you think the end of the world is going to happen? Simple question. <laughs> so my answer at the time, which I think was all right, I said, well, I don't know, but when you die, that's it for you. So make sure that you have yourself right with the gospel and who Jesus Christ is because the end will come in a time when you're not thinking. And I think that's true. So why does God even tell us I'm coming? When the truth is we're all going to die, there's going to be a last day. But there's going to be a last day. And that should give us the knowledge of the fact that as we struggle today in this life, as we may go through times of persecution, as we may go through times of great blessing, through it all, Jesus Christ is at work building his church. But there will be a day when it is over. And it is all set right. So when you see the evils in this world, and you may get really down, and you may get very angry, you may get quite bothered by the evils that you see in this world, God is saying, this is a, none of this is going to continue forever. This is part of the curse and what I am currently doing is I am calling people to myself. The wheat and the tares are growing together. And I'm going to wait until the last day when all the last trumpet shall sound and everything will be set right. And all the saints who are in heaven, above, uh, heaven ahead of us, people that we know who have died are in heaven. Abraham's bosom there with Christ now. And you get to see them again too in addition to seeing Jesus Christ. We all, as we've seen in the book of Revelation and elsewhere in the New Testament, get to experience the new heavens and new earth, this great thing that's not entered into the mind of man, even the things that await us, all together. You know, you get there and you have friends that have gone before you, loved ones that have gone before. I imagine there's got to be a time when they're like, oh, let me show you, let me show you, let me show you. You know, there's lots of time, let me show you, let me show you, let me show you. And there's going to be a time where everybody's just going to go hold up and God says, let me show you all I know he'll say that. Let me show y'all something. And in all, everyone stops and stares. And new heavens and new earth, glorification, and that which the, everything has pointed. The purpose for which Jesus came and died, not just your salvation alone, but the glorification of the church 
to the glory of God the Father will be revealed in a way that is unimaginably beautiful and holy. And so the Bible says, so what kind of lives ought we to live? Live unto God. Keep the word. Just a little further. Be ready. Live by grace. Show grace to other people. Preach the gospel in season, out of season. So we do all these things. And then he says who he is. I'm the Alpha, the Omega, the first, the last, the beginning, the end. All powerful. God, he can do these things. He created everything. He's the creator. He's the one in charge. He's all, he, he can bring these things to pass because he is who he is. And then in verse 14, he says, the seventh blessing, blessed are those who wash their robes so that they may have the right to the tree of life. Takes us back to the garden. You, you get the right to the tree of life. And we saw this in the beginning of verse chapter 22. And they may enter the city by the gates. In other words, heaven is yours. Well done, good and faithful servant. In Christ, you've been saved. You, you're brought to consummation of all things. You, it's all over. And now it's just all begun. And this is what we're looking forward to. What does it mean to wash your robes? And he talked about this earlier in Revelation. It's Revelation 7, 11 through 17. It's blessed are those who wash their robes in the blood of the Lamb. Are you like, you know, Christians and they're thinking, I can't wash my clothes in blood. That's not going to work well. So it's like, it's a symbol. The blood of the Lamb is the blood of Jesus Christ. When you stand before God, you can't be there in filthy robes. You have to be in pure, white, beautiful clothes. And we find that when we stand before God and somebody says, why should we let you into heaven? You don't have to say a thing because you're going to be standing there in bright robes. It's already been decided. Because you've been washed with the blood of the Lamb, meaning when Jesus died, he died for you, for the believer. Jesus died on the cross so that the church would be with him in heaven forever to bring many sons to glory. But he reminds us, outside, outside the city, dogs, and this is, we love dogs, but back in this day, dogs were the dirty animal. Dogs are not good. Dogs, sorcerers, sexual immoral, murderers, idolaters, everyone who loves and practices falsehood. And then we see the nature of the call of the gospel. Jesus says, I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you about these things for the churches. I am the root and the descendant of David, the bright morning star. Prophecies from Numbers and Deuteron Numbers and Isaiah, where he's prophesying the coming of this Messiah. And he's saying, it is I. I am the one, the end times king, who has prophesied to come. The Spirit, that's the Holy Spirit, and the bride, that's the church. And what do they say? Come. Now there's a question. Who are they telling to come? Are they speaking to Jesus? Come? And it's possible. Or are they talking to everybody else? Come. I, I lean toward this. The Spirit and the bride are saying come. And because um, Isaiah 55, 1 is what we read from at the beginning. Come, all ye who are heavy laden. Come, all ye who are thirsty. Come. There's a threefold call to come, and they're all given to the believer. So I believe this is where the Holy Spirit and the bride, the church, are saying, Come. Let the one who hears, and that means you hear and you've been saved, you've been drawn to this, then you say come too. Now again, we could be talking to Jesus because it's a part of it is like, come. We're ready for you to come. We're ready for this to happen. We should be ready for this inaugurated kingdom to come in. We pray, thy kingdom come. Every time we pray, 
the Lord's Prayer. Let the one who is thirsty, this is what takes us to Isaiah, let the one who is thirsty come. Let the one who desires take the water of life without price. And Jesus has said over and over, this is me. Are you thirsty? Do you know people who are thirsty? The world is a dry place. And the world is thirsty. But they don't know where the living water is. And Jeremiah, a prophecy is given to him where he says, you are keeping water in broken cisterns. In other words, these big containers are supposed to catch rainwater and hold it. They're broken and it's not holding anything. What are you, what are you doing? You're, you're, you're feeding yourself with something that can't take care of you. You're, you're, as the world is trying to soothe and ease itself in ways that it will never do. So you must be careful as you're eating food not to depend on it beyond our daily bread. Uh, your job, your children, anything you're elevating above God. If that is what you're using, this happens to drugs and alcohol and things like this, things that we use to assuage our thirst. I'm hurting, I'm thirsty. I'll do this to make myself feel better. A lot of times you just yell at people to make yourself feel better. We can't do that. It ends in this warning. I warn everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book, if anyone adds to them, so maybe you've turned to Deuteronomy earlier, Deuteronomy chapter 5, we don't have time to turn there now, but Deuteronomy 5, Deuteronomy 30, you might as well go ahead and read all of Deuteronomy if you want to when you go home. I know you always read stuff I tell you to read when I say it up here, but there's these warnings and cursings and blessings. I put before you, Life and death. Choose life that you might live, you and your children. And Deuteronomy um, 4. I do have the note. Deuteronomy 4, uh, 1 through 6 says, When you go into the land, don't add to the words that I've given you and don't take away from the words that I've given you. So again, all this is going back to the Old Testament so that we might understand. And what he's talking about is false teaching. Be very careful about being a false teacher believing false teaching, and make sure that what we say is what the Word of God says. We don't go beyond it, and we try to be as full as it is, but the secret things belong to the Lord, and so we don't go beyond the Word. So we do not add to God's words, and we do not take away from God's Word. The liberal church has done this. Be aware that some churches, some entire denominations have, have done things such as you can't believe everything that Paul wrote because Paul just didn't like women. So get rid of a lot of that stuff. Um, the Word of God isn't really um, the literal Word of God. It really isn't inspired by God. It's man-made. Churches that teach this, they will receive the condemnation of this. We must be careful that if we believe the Word of God to be the Word of God, that we hold true to the Word of God. We preach, sing, talk, pray as much as possible the Word of God. And then he ends. He who testifies to these things says, Surely I am coming quickly. And then John ends, he says, Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. Yeah, he's an old man. If you try to talk to young people about death and things like that, they're going to be like, I'd rather talk about the future, the good life. I want to talk about these things. But as you get older and older and older, it's like, I want to know about death. Tell me, because that's where I know about life. But he's coming soon, and John has seen enough. He loves the Lord. He loves the church. 
and he's ready to see the Lord Jesus Christ. And then he closes this book of Revelation with this blessing. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with all. Amen. So let's pray. Our most gracious and loving Heavenly Father, um, as we've read the book of Revelation and studied and preached and listened to this unveiling, um, I know I've done a, a poor job of exegeting it, but by your Spirit, I pray that even just the words read and the truths that were professed to the the, the best of my ability and, and by the the unction, the anointing of the Holy Spirit upon us all, we're able to, to learn and know these things. So, Father God, we pray as we come to the table that we're reminded, as much as we've heard the gospel today, as much as we've heard your word, then we've been in a covenant renewal that you've promised again and again and again, I'm coming, you're mine, I'm yours. Whoever believes in me will not perish but have eternal life. So help us to, to cling to that. Help us to be, look forward to your coming, to know that you're coming. You're with us. You're among us. You're in control of all of history. Bad things are going to happen. Good things are going to happen. But in the midst of it all, your church is growing and shining and protected. And it might look small and it might look hard. And it might look and feel difficult. But the reality is beyond what we're seeing now. So help us to cling closely to your word, to your spirit. And we thank you for all these things and pray this. And the blessings we've even seen in our worship service this morning. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.